The first Bible reading is from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 6, going into chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. It can be found on page 69 of the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive God's instruction for his covenant with the Israelites, including the giving of the Ten Commandments. At the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honour your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. And the second reading is from Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 34. It can be found on page 26 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus responds to the lawyer's question concerning the greatest commandment. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, 
asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding. That your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please do be seated. Belonging. It's a cuddly sort of word, isn't it? Sometimes we define it in the negative, don't we? After all, we've all felt the pain of what it means to not belong. Belonging, though, is critical to grasping the deepest question that that we ask as, as humans in society today, namely around our identity. Who am I? And who am I then shapes our behavior of how we live. You see, how we live depends upon who we are, and who we are depends upon whose we are, who we belong to, and the story we're part of. The order is important, not just in life today, but also to understand this message today as we find out what the Israelites begin to understand of what it means to become God's people as they arrive at Mount Sinai and receive the Ten Commandments. Belonging, identity, behavior. We could use the words grace, covenant, law. It's relationship before responsibility or rule. We've seen if you've been traveling with us on our journey to date through this book, just in case you might have missed the odd week, we've seen how the Israelites are God's chosen people. They didn't choose him. He chose them. Part of a bigger story going back to the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They belong to God. We've seen how God introduces himself, doesn't he, in Exodus on Mount Sinai to an 80-year-old nomadic shepherd named Moses. And he uses covenant language to introduce himself. He uses the language, the God of, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how does he introduce the Israelites? He says, I'm calling you to rescue my people from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. You see, God is responding to their cry and acting upon his covenant with their ancestors, a covenant that in its most simplest terms all the way throughout the Bible can just be explained in this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we've seen how God delivers his people. He sets the Israelites free from slavery and onto the first stage of their journey as they travel through the wilderness to eventually reach the freedom many years later of the promised land. Today, where we read today, marks the end, if you like, of part one of that journey. 
We've read at the beginning of chapter 19, if you're following it with me, either here or online, that three months to the very day after leaving captivity, to they arrive at Mount Sinai. Of course, for Moses, this is such a significant event to come back to the place where God had promised that he would return with the people out of slavery in Egypt and they would worship him on this mountain. Seeing the fulfillment of a promise that God had made to him, it was such a significant moment. But I wonder, did the Israelites realize the significance of that moment too for them? If this was their God-ordained time to be on the earth at that time, for such a time as this, did they realize the significance of everything that was about to happen and realize how pivotal these times were to them? Or did they think after being set free from captivity and seeing God doing his wonder stuff that culminated in the parting of the Red Sea, that that was it? That was it. It couldn't get any better than that. Because there are huge moments in our lives, aren't there? Maybe as some of us look back at our lives, maybe as some of us are in middle age, we can look back and still look forward. If we're younger, we're we're looking forward. There will still be moments in our lives that will be critical, that will shape and define the destiny of each one of our lives. Just like there will be for us spiritually. Will we ride the wave with God? And embrace the abundant blessings for us? Or will we miss the moment? You see, here's how significant this moment was for the Israelites. Here's how significant it was, not just for the Israelites then, but for the whole of the nation still today. You know, if we were to to think about this for a moment, but if I was to ask you, which week, which week, if we take all the weeks that are recorded in in the Bible, which week is recorded in more detail than any other week in the Bible. I wonder which week would you choose? I can hear your brains whirring. Well, you'd, you'd probably choose, wouldn't you? You'd maybe think, well, maybe the last week of, of Jesus' life, from Palm Sunday through Good Friday through to Easter Sunday. Anyone choose that week? Hey, wonderful. If you did, you were right. I don't know which week the rest of you were thinking about, but anyway. But if I was to ask you, if I was to ask you which year in history is recorded in more detail than any other in the Bible, I wonder which year you would choose. You see, if you were to ask me that question, I'd choose this moment. This moment from Exodus chapter 19 on. Because everything that happens in the rest of the book of Exodus, everything that happens in the book of Leviticus, everything that happens in the first 10 pages, in the first 10 chapters of Numbers, all happen in the next 11 months. That's 68 pages of your church Bible, but it goes far longer, believe you me, than 68 pages. That's how significant these moments are for the Israelites. Why? Because it's at Mount Sinai that the Israelites as a people begin to see the significance of what it means to belong to God, 
of what it means to be his people as God renegotiates the old covenant with Abraham and cuts a new edition with Moses that would be played out for centuries to follow. You see, if you're following with me in in chapter 19, did you notice those three terms of affection used by God to describe the Israelites if they obey him? If they remain faithful to his covenant, God says you'll be my treasured possession. Out of all peoples, you'll be my treasured possession. You'll be a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. If you like, three phrases that are related, but with slight distinctions. You see, the Israelites are commissioned to be a special group of people. God's people, belonging to him. All of whom, through his covenant have this priestly relationship with him and all set apart for a specific purpose to be a people who live in the world but not of it but remember the order belonging, identity, behaviour grace, covenant, law it's relationships before responsibility or rule When we hear in Christianity talk of three gifts, we naturally think of three gifts at Christmas, don't we, that the Magi brought to Jesus. Well, the significance of Sinai and the the pages that follow, God gives to Israel, if you like, three gifts. We could call them three pillars. They're three gifts of love that would form everything that happened in Jewish life for the next 1,500 years, barring the years that they spent in Babylon, in exile. We know them as the law, the tabernacle, the sacrifice system. And if I was to sum up these three pillars, if you like, of, of, of the propped up Jewish life, if I was to summarize them in a phrase, well, the law, I would say the phrase, it tells us God is saying, I care about you. With the tabernacle that we'll look at next week, God's dwelling place, God is saying, I'm with you. And in the sacrifice system that is in the whole of Leviticus, God is saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm with you. I care about you. And today, we look at the law. If you like, and today, it's the very pinnacle, isn't it? Sometimes called the Decalogue sometimes called the Ten Words, sometimes called the Ten Utterances, most famously the the Ten Commandments that, if you like, have shaped and transformed the world. Still today, don't they? They form the basis of our legal frameworks, acting as this basic moral code, the minimum standard, if you like, for the good of all humanity. Here's what Tom Holland writes in his book, Dominion, The Making of the Western Mind, about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not merely instructions, but an expression of the very identity of the God of Israel. His chosen people were being called to live, not as his slaves, but as men and women, brought closer to him to share in his nature. This was why even as he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he warned them. He was this jealous God. You see, the law was God And the law was the act of devotion the Israelites were to live by as an act of love to the God who loved them unconditionally. To be devoted to him as much as he was devoted to them. 
It's why God uses, isn't it, when you look through the prophets and you, you see the language that is used by the prophets. It's why God spoke in such a way to describe the Israelites' disobedience to him as adultery or promiscuity and being faithful in sleeping with idols and to call them back to remain faithful to him. You know, in this exam season, if I was to give each of us a piece of paper now and a pen, and as, if I was to say to you, right, write me out the Ten Commandments, I'm sure most of us would struggle, wouldn't we, in a test to know them all, no matter how famous they are. Or we might get some of them or all of them, but we might get them in the wrong order. You see, we often split the Ten Commandments, don't we, into two sections. The first four, how people relate to God, and the second six, how we relate to one another. Number one, no other gods. You see, God says, make following me your top priority above all else. Number two, no idols. Serve God alone, only God. Don't fixate your eyes or your hearts on anyone or anything else. Number three, no misuse of God's name. Don't misuse God's name profanely or in an oath if you're lying. Don't use spiritual language if you like to cover up a dark heart. Number four, remember the Sabbath day. Honor God by ceasing constant work to take time for worship and rest. Number five, the one as kids we all hated and as parents we all loved. Honor your parents. Ever said that? Give them respect, listen to their wisdom and thank them for all they've done for you. Number six, do not murder. It kind of goes beyond killing actually to, the, to include the words we use. To not hate people or hold grudges but rather to know how to forgive. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Resist the temptation to lust and grow in sexual purity. Number eight, don't steal. Be generous givers and receivers. Number nine, don't bear false witness. Be a person of integrity. Let truth flow in every area of your life. Number 10, do not covet. Refuse to give in to envy or jealousy. Love people more than their things. And over time, what happened is these 10 commandments, they kind of got an extended as God showed his love to his people through further ordinances, there's 613 of them in total, split between the civil laws, the laws that helped them sort of like to solve problems and issues related to property, or marriages, or family life, or war, or humanitarian aid. There were the ceremonial laws, the laws mainly related to food rituals and cleansing rituals and then there was the extension of the moral laws of which the ten commandments are the pinnacle everything that happens in the pages that follow in the old testament not just 68 pages everything goes back to this moment as the prophet reminds us repeatedly despite god's faithful love the Israelites were frequent, rampant at times in their unfaithfulness in breaking the covenant. A covenant which said, you know that lovely, small word, if. 
if. You know how many of our lives sometimes can be defined by if. If you obey my voice, God says, and if you keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. You see, the Israelites had it all, and despite repeated warnings from the prophets, they would not return to God. You see, it was their failure to keep the Mosaic covenant that led the prophets to prophesy of a time to come when God would renegotiate his contract once more and cut a new edition. That new covenant came with the sending of God sending his son, Jesus Christ, was sealed in his blood for us on the cross that marked his followers to be his people. As Peter would declare in his first letter, using Exodus language, remember it, 1 Peter 2? Yes, his treasured possession. Yes, a kingdom of priests. Yes, a holy nation. Yes, his beloved belonging to him. Remember that chorus? I think it came out in the early 80s. It might be in the late 70s. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. Ever wondered where Peter got it from? Ever wondered where the kind of writer of the song got it? All the way back in the book of Exodus. But in this new covenant, as his people note the order, belonging, identity, behavior, grace, covenant, law. It's relationships before responsibilities or rules. But God then gives his people in the new covenant a rule, a rule of life. You know, when we think about a ruler, that I've got here, when we think about a ruler like this, what does it have? What does it do? You know, a ruler has two functions maybe, doesn't it? We'll use it to to measure something. But we'll also use it to help us to draw a straight line. And Jesus' rule, if you like, gives us a measured way to live. We could say a framework of values to guide and assess and from which we can measure progress. But his rule is also straight with us, isn't it? It brings clarity, showing us the direction to take. As the writer to the Proverbs said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Or as the psalmist said, you show us the path of life. And by becoming God's people and knowing Christ and following his rule, we do that, don't we? By firstly knowing we're God's beloved. By knowing and understanding that God chose you and Jesus died for each one of us to cut a new covenant for us. And after being raised to new life, He said his chosen ones were, in Peter's words, his treasured possession to live his resurrection life. Peter would say it later, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sin we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, we become God's people by knowing Christ and following his rules, by knowing that we're God's beloved. 
but also by, secondly, examining our hearts daily. By being a people who have God's law in the words of St. Paul, the letter of Christ written not with ink on tablets of stone, but rather with ink on the tablets of our hearts. You see, the letter of Christ's law is a call to become God's people through radical heart surgery, isn't it? You know, Jesus said it, didn't he? He said, you have heard that it was said in this most famous message, as if they could forget, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks with lust at a woman has already committed adultery with her in her heart. We become God's people by knowing Christ and following his rule through knowing that we are God's beloved, through secondly examining our hearts, and thirdly, by living Jesus' words and deeds of love. Because Jesus said, didn't he? He said, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. And who then called his followers to this higher calling, didn't he? This new era of fulfillment to govern our obedience, a call to live out his commandment, to live a life of love that fulfills the law, that still commits us to follow God's moral law because as Jesus himself said in his law, there is no greater commandment than to be his people who love God with no less devotion than any previous covenant and who love our neighbor, whoever that would be, including our enemy, as we would ourselves in every aspect of life. To quote Peter again, to live a new rule in conducting ourselves honorably in the world that the world notices in our homes, in our workplaces, in our parishes, in our neighborhoods, in our island. But note the order, belonging, identity, behavior, grace, covenant, law. It's relationships before responsibility and rule. So may we live out becoming his people knowing that God will do everything that he's promised, that his love for us is eternal, and he will complete the work in us. He has begun. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So gracious God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love for us. And whether in this place now or whether we will watch this message now at home or later, we just take a moment to say, And to know that we are your people. That we are your beloved. And so maybe for someone this morning, they might just need to know those words. That God loves you. That Jesus died for you. Maybe for... Some of us, we might want to just need to examine our hearts once more. That daily examination, that radical heart surgery. 
that our hearts would grow into God's heart. Now, maybe for some of us this morning, it's about putting that letter of Christ's law. Not on tablets of stone where it's just knowing about things, but to live it out in the tablet of our hearts. To live out his life of love. And so, Lord, maybe this morning you might just want to reveal where we need to grow in the depth of our love for you. Or maybe where we need to show that love to a neighbor. Maybe even an enemy. But above all, we remember that we belong to you. And that you love us. And that you call us to change, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude. And so before Emma will continue to lead us in our prayers, we'll stand and sing together. Thank you for saving me.